Welcome to another episode of Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karis. Karis on Crime explores criminal justice issues and cases in the news. And as always, I do welcome your feedback. So feel free to post your questions or your comments on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karis. And my Facebook page is my name also, Beth Karis. On Friday, May 5th, 2017, the Center County, Pennsylvania District Attorney, Stacy Parks Miller, announced charges against a fraternity and 18 students at Penn State University. The charges stem from a grand jury investigation into the death of a 19-year-old sophomore, Timothy Piazza, in February of this year. The grand jury findings and recommendations of the charges is frankly shocking. It's also unusual to have so many people charged at one time, but it does happen, and there's a lot to talk about, so I want to get right to it. District Attorney Stacy Parks Miller joins me now to discuss the case, at least what she can discuss at this early stage, and the grand jury findings are public. So I want to welcome you, Stacy. Oh, thanks for having me, Beth. So listen, I read the grand jury findings, very comprehensive, very detailed. Is there a separate accusatory instrument, first of all, because this isn't an indictment, right? Right, right. It was a probable cause finding, and uh, obviously my local police and uh, investigating agency and myself agreed with it, and we went and um, filed complaints on it. So right now they're at the charging stage. Okay. What's the next step? Uh, The next step, they've been arraigned, um, and uh, they've had uh, various types of bail set against them, and we're, you know, headed toward, um, you know, the preliminary hearing in PA, it's the first uh, hearing stage, and then on to trial, or, you know, if they want to accept responsibility, which everyone has the right to do. So the preliminary hearing, is that another probable cause finding by the judge? Yeah, yeah. So the the first step was probable cause to uh, swear out the complaints, and next is whether it's more likely or not that they committed the offenses to head toward trial. And is there a date set for that? Um, Yeah, it, it actually just got moved to a date in June. Um, it was set for next week, but that's very impossible considering there are all these defendants. It's going to need its own day, so they picked a June date. Right, and and we're talking on uh, May 13th, so uh, so sometime in June. Yes. Okay, so we'll be following that. So you've, you've charged 18 students. Right. Have you ever had a case with that many defendants in one, in one case? No, no. Um, naturally, the, the, the type of case it is is, you know, um, leads to, you know, it was a gigantic uh, party, um, and the, the events of the party led to the, Tim's death. And um, so, yeah, it's very unique that this many people would be involved in one crime. I think that we had an armed robbery gang uh, quite a while ago, and I think we had about, you know, four or five defendants. But this is definitely unique, yes. So let's go through basically what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was February 2nd. It was pledge night at the Beta Theta Pi fraternity, right? Right. right. So, yeah, so um, so it was uh, actually bid acceptance night, and, and for fraternities that means that they uh, tell them that, you know, we picked you, um, come tonight, and, you know, it kind of solidifies that you're one of us. And, um, and as the presentment shows, the text messages started being sent out that, hey, come over, um, you know, tonight's the night, wear these certain clothes. And, um, you know, one, one message specifically said, we're, you're going to get, we're going to get you effed up tonight. And, um, so there was a, a bit of a foreshadowing, um, and they had to wear certain clothes. And, and when they got there, you know, it started. 
and they they put them in you know a certain place. They they made them chug um, vodka to begin, and they told them take big chugs because if you don't, the last person has to finish it. Um, and then they set them up to run what's called the gauntlet. And the gauntlet is a we learned through text messages and the grand jury in this case. The gauntlet's a you know place uh, like a you know an obstacle course that they set up throughout the house where there are, are different types of alcohol at each station, uh, different places in the house where they have to chug alcohol and run to the next station. And it happened the semester before, the semester before, et cetera. It was a tradition. And that's what happened to Tim Piazza. He starts out chugging vodka, and then he's led through um, the, ga- the, ops- the gauntlet, and um, he ends up with a blood alcohol content of, you know, approximately near a 4.0, 0.37 at the high end, or uh, 3.6 maybe. I mean, that's alcohol toxicity, isn't it? Yes, it is. Our uh, presentment shows our toxicologist slash slash pathologist who has both credentials said that that is a fatal level of alcohol by itself. And um, he, and, and, and remember, we, we have a number of other pledges going through the same thing. So they set up this obstacle course, and all these pledges are at that level, presumably, or near it, at least, depending on the slight variations and what they're chugging. And um, Tim ends up um, falling down a very large flight of stairs and he he people catch or people see him at the bottom and um, there's indications people immediately start worrying at least some people worry about his head Um, they take him to a couch and this is you know this is late in the evening before midnight and he doesn't have a shirt on and you can see in the security camera vintage which we have not security camera but video from inside the house there's a bruise blossoming on his abdomen, and we will later learn that's a spleen uh, rupture, which also ends up being a potentially fatal injury. And it's visible on the outside when it ruptures. Yes. The, wow. the, the, immediately the blood pooling underneath his skin is visible from a camera inside a room that's high up. As they came upstairs, mm-hmm. you can see that already mm-hmm. from the first fall. And um, they gather around him. They do things. Um, they he starts to project. Well, he starts to vomit repeatedly after he falls. And some of the brothers, uh, they do all kinds of strange things. You know, some people throw beer on him. Um, you know, try to revive him. One brother does insist he he should be taken to the hospital, and another brother who's senior to him in the fraternity hierarchy, you know, throws him into a wall and says, you know, quit overreacting, be quiet, we've got this. And so all, all sorts of things happen at that point, and they, they essentially keep him on the couch as he's unconscious, throwing up, writhing around, um, and, and eventually they leave him. And morning comes, and, uh, should, well, in the middle of the night, uh, after they leave him, he gets up, and begins staggering around the house, and as the presentment details, um, it's quite, it's quite terrible. He he's falling around the house, but he does not seem to have the ability to to neurologically process what's happening to him. It, he can't put his hands out in front of him and stop and protect himself. So he's falling into doors head first. Mm, more uh-huh. head injuries. 
That's terrible, Beth. Yeah. He falls into a, um, step, a stair step case, and, like, Francis's head hits the corner of the stairs. And so, yes, he's, he's continuing to injure himself, um, but he's not able to neurologically, it doesn't seem, put his hands out. And then they find him, and, oh, and then he finds his way back to those same stairs that he fell down before the, to the basement. He falls again. Mm. And... Um, now, now it's early morning, and people come in. They're getting ready to, whatever, get ready for class or whatever, and they notice his shoes. And this is according to them what makes them look for him. And they they go looking around the house. They go back to the bottom of those stairs, and and next thing you know, on the camera, they're bringing him up again. And um, this time, according to the presentment, because this is all public record, which is what the only thing I would talk about. Um, he he looks um, he's in mortal danger. He, anyone would look at him can see it. He is not the color of a healthy human being. Um, he's in a decorticate posture. His arms are and fists are curled in toward himself. He's not. He, some of them thought he'd at least one thought he was already passed away, and I don't think that's an unfair. Uh, representation of him, if you if you see the video, he lo- he might look already passed away. You mean not just brain dead, but actually passed away. He right. t- he's not pronounced dead for several more hours, though. Right, mm-hmm. but he but he he he, he looks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I questioned it when I first saw the video whether he was still with us when they carried him up. Um, because he's stiff and he's mm-hmm. not the right color, mm-hmm. and um, they wait. 40, over 40 minutes to call the police. And the video shows they do all sorts of strange things. They, they do try to dress him. They're Googling what to do with a head injury. Um, and they're just, it's just clearly they're concerned about themselves. And um, from, the, from the evidence, you know, they, they're worried about what to do. They go get the president to ask what to do. They don't they don't do what a normal person would do. It turns out he does still have a shallow heartbeat when the police or when the when the ambulance arrives, but it's too late to to deal with his brain injury. And and if, while they call police, they clean up in the background so there's no evidence of a party. Such egregious conduct. But how? I mean, what do you say to the argument that oh, there were kids, they were drinking also, you can't really hold them accountable as though they were, you know, making decisions of sound mind? Yeah, I don't, that doesn't even occur to me. I don't, I, the people that say that, I guess, you know, this is how I see it. Um, I'm not, we don't suggest that they just deliberately tried to harm Tim Piazza. He, they're not charged with intentionally trying to injure him. They're charged, all their crimes are charged uh, as reckless conduct. In other words, you know, it's a reckless theory. that They engaged in behavior that was so reckless, it was, um, you know, it led to his death. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they, they, they could fight in a war, you know what I mean? They, they're, they're of age to know the difference between risky behavior that could lead to death. And uh, if they drag race, they, ha- they know that that could kill someone. That doesn't even occur to me. Um, that, that's mm-hmm. a sympathy feeling mm-hmm. because they're young and they may have endangered the rest of their lives by what they did. Um, yeah, they did. 
Um, but that stuff simply doesn't occur to me. Tim Piazza is in a mausoleum. And, and I, I think if I would query a middle schooler um, about the dangers of excess alcohol consumption, they know it. Um, and, and frankly, if they saw someone on the street and the, and the passed out, they'd call 911 immediately. Correct. Um, so, so all of these things, you know, I, yeah, is it unfortunate that, that, that they put themselves in this position? Yeah, but Tim is dead. And as a district attorney, you know, I, I have obligations to crime victims. So I think it's those things are an expression of it's a shame that this happened. Well, as a person, I, I agree, but that's not a defense to, to criminal behavior under any circumstances. And, and you know, when, when uh, Tim was brought to the hospital, he I mean, they found liters of blood in his in his abdomen, right? He had been hemorrhaging yeah. for hours. Right, right. So... Right. So the even the spleen injury, which wasn't ends up being, you know, that 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 injury is called a potentially life threatening injury. That could have been um, that could have been easily fixed. Um, but by the time he's taken to the hospital, eighty percent of his body's blood, or something like whatever the presentment says, is, is the accurate amount, is in his stomach mm. because of the spleen alone. But the, but the brain injury was irreversible at that point. And, and at some point, it would have been reversible, right? Sure. Maybe after the first fall. Yeah, and then that's hard to pinpoint exactly when. And so that's not necessarily the exact basis of our theory. That contributes to the, the recklessness. But it's really bringing people together for a life-threatening, um, quote-unquote, game where you know you're you're presenting them with a level of alcohol that's life-threatening. And then when the life is taken, you are responsible. It's, it's mm-hmm. like it's gambling with lives every semester. And when it finally does happen, yep, you're responsible. So how do you, I mean, how, how do you explain this? It's like, it's, it's the mentality of these like fraternity boys and they just like, I don't know, they, they feed on each other. I mean, what, I assume there'll be psychologists testifying about you know, oh, it's a mob mentality, but this group mentality, and they're afraid to defy the upperclassmen. I get there. I do think there was some testimony about that. I mean, and, and that's why these cases are so hard usually. And I will tell you this: the grand, as you know, being a former prosecutor, the grand jury was incredibly important to this. I mean, we didn't have a grand jury before two years ago. And um, I started the first Center County Grand Jury because I we have cases from time to time that really need one, and this was this was absolutely proof of why a grand jury is necessary. Um, when you have people who refuse to speak out against somebody, um, and the grand jury is the only tool that makes them, these, this is the perfect case. This is a perfect case where secrecy rules, and people are afraid to betray one another, and that is why I, don't, I think you don't see a lot of these cases because. Nobody wants to defy this quote-unquote brotherhood. And here, they people who weren't able to take the fifth had to tell the truth under grand jury subpoena. So just and for so, people who don't understand, let me right, sorry right. to interrupt you. That, so you're saying the grand jury is really the only way to do this. It's it, because it's compelling sworn testimony. Yes, it compels people to tell the truth. Whereas without a grand jury, somebody could hold the truth about a crime, could have witnessed a crime, and if the police go say, tell us what happened, they can say, I don't want to, and there's no way to make them. And that happens in real life. People don't realize that. But with a grand jury as a tool, 
if somebody's just a witness, they can't refuse to say what happened. Right, they get subpoenaed, right. Right. And so here people just couldn't say no. We, we called them in, and they had to tell, and they had to bring evidence if they had it. And we took over 20 cell phones, and a lot of the evidence came off the cell phones. So that's what really, the video was really crucial, but, this, but the, the telephone, the cell phone evidence and the being able to compel people to tell the truth was incredibly important to building this case. You know, that really struck me as I was going through the grand jury uh, findings that you had those two sources of information, the digital data from the cell phones and the cameras. I mean, there there was a time, say a couple decades ago, when you wouldn't have had that kind of information with a case like this and may not have been able to make this type of case. Oh, definitely. I definitely, I, I, I don't even know if, you know, yeah, like even five, six years ago, whether, I mean, if people, when we, when people even had flip phones, you couldn't get this information off their phones. So it's, it's a, it's a new, you know, it's a new forensic age and um, it's a new way of living. I mean, people don't talk anymore. They talk on their phones. And so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a blessing for law enforcement. And um, quite literally, they came to the, they came to the grand jury um, with their phones, like everybody does, and then you know, obviously, we were able to get them very easily. And um, it, it, building the case was quite fortuitous because of the video and forensic evidence. Um, even if you delete text messages, they can be recaptured. Yes, um, yes, and no. So here's what's interesting about this case, as the grand jury presentment lays out. Regular text messaging, like for instance on um, text messaging services that you have on your phone, they could, they did, they, some were deleted and we were able to forensically get them back, you know, and so we, we did recreate a lot that had been deleted that are, are able to be used against them. However, they had, they had text messaging service called GroupMe, which is, um, is, is an internet based, uh, chat service and that, that forensic people cannot recreate because it's never on their phone. It's it's kind of um, it, it's used on the internet, which means that it kind of occurs, you know, it kind of occurs outside their phone. And they did destroy those. Well, I should say they they deleted them after Tim died, and that's why some of them are charged with um, uh, tampering with evidence. We yeah. weren't able to get them back, but one of the brothers actually took pictures of the chat. So we knew what they, some of them said. So interestingly, we're able to prove they existed other than people just saying we had these chats. Did you find that, well, I don't know if you can answer this. The people who, who testify in the grand jury are, are separate from the ones who were charged? You probably can't answer that, right? Secret proceeding. Oh, no. Well, from the grand jury presentment, I think you can tell that um, there was testimony, a mix of testimony from people who actually ended up charged. Um, some people spoke and still ended up charged. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, the, it, was quite, it was interesting. Some people came and, and did talk and ended up charged. So, you know, the rules in the grand jury in New York State are as soon as you testify, you're immunized, which is a little strange. Really? Most states, yeah, most states are not like this. So you have to waive immunity. So you have to be careful who you put in the grand jury, at least when I was practicing. Um, wow. And I do not believe the rules have changed. But... You know, some states don't use grand juries, and you're saying you started using grand juries just a couple of years ago in your county? 
That's correct. Um, yeah, we, we didn't have one, and, you know, we ran into certain investigations where not like naturally like the witnesses may may all be family to a very serious event and they wouldn't they wouldn't tell the truth about another member and you know we got stymied in our investigation and we and this tool of grand juries out there and I said we are losing the ability to prosecute certain cases because we don't have a grand jury and I finally started one and it, it started with we had a case that was 20 years old where a man molested two kids and so you know there are times you desperately need it and this is the proof right here did you have to get an act of the legislature to be able to oh, impanel no, no. a grand jury? No, no. PA has the ability to use grand juries. It's just up to the individual DA whether to impanel one. Got it. And and my county just never never did. And uh, and I just think it was a tool that. And not not all counties do it. It's quite it's quite a uh, you know it's quite a um, undertaking, right? Like every other Thursday, sure. Um, you have to attend it, and you have to keep the cases moving, and, and you have um, to make sure you have a quorum. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it involves the whole county. I mean, I think at first people were like, "Oh, you know, it's more work for everyone," but yeah, you, know, you have to warm people up to the idea because it's a it's a lot of work for other people. It's time for a break. You're listening to Karis on Crime. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras, and I'm speaking with the District Attorney, Stacy Parks Miller. She's the DA of Center County, Pennsylvania, and she recently brought criminal charges against 18 students at Penn State University and a fraternity. Charges related to the death of a 19-year-old sophomore, Timothy Piazza, in February of 2017. So let me ask you about the cameras. When did fraternities having cameras or is this unique to this particular one i i believe it's unique to this one so this fraternity is this house is is stupendous it's 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 like a mansion and um in in two, like 2008 or 9 i forget offhand a benefactor multi multi-millionaire benefactor former former fraternity brother came in and he he rehabbed the house to the tune of millions and he, but his condition was, this is a guy who's strict morally and stopped drinking, no drinking, go back to the principles of the fraternity, men of principle, follow it strictly, and I will turn your house into, you know, a, a mansion. And they had to agree to all these conditions, and he did it. And, um, and uh, one of it was no drinking, dry fraternity. And so... My, what I understand is that the cameras were based upon insurance and, and the agreement with him that essentially, you know, I want to know what's going on in there because I just invested like 8 to $10 million. And I don't know if over time they just, they became immune to them or what, um, you know, how that would, might work. So I mean, and that's, that's my understanding of how the cameras happened. Well, how long ago was that? Do you know? Yeah, that was like, that was like, Oh seven or oh eight, oh. this re- rededication happened. So he's presumably still alive, and oh, he, oh, he's not only is he alive. As soon as this occurred, he filed a civil suit to uh, recapture his note because they violated the conditions. He's he's apparently there's a civil suit right now against um, the house and the the local chapter to get his money back out. He's you know from the civil suit. I've never spoken to him. He's 
definitely distraught that this occurred as they were drinking. I notice in the grand jury findings, um, early on in the findings, it's an 81-page document, there's discussion about uh, the internal rules of in the manual, the pledge manual, the rules right. of the fraternity. Is, is, is that related? Are they related to the conditions that this benefactor set, or is, is that separate? Um, I'm not totally sure. I'm not totally sure if that was revised to match him or not. I don't know when those were written. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, without having it in front of me, I think those are just general rules, you know, that they're not allowed to um, pl- haze and they're not allowed to have uh, pledges drinking at events. I think that's a general rule always in effect. Because if you, if you notice... Um, they say the grand jury presentment talks about how they tell the pledges um, keep keep your watch over your band so if any of the uh, security people come in they won't know you're a pledge if you're drinking. And what what is a band? You have a band on your wrist that is yes. it, a color that yes separates so, you from the others. Yes. So ple- so at any event where there are pledges, they are not, pledges are not allowed to consume alcohol um, during pledging because of this ban on, you know, hazing and all that kind of stuff. At, um, and so they literally were already texting them, you know, early on, keep your watch over your ban in case, like, a, a security person comes through so that they won't be able to tell you a pledge if you're drinking. I mean, they just, it, it, it was just apparently just a known thing, like, we don't care, you know, um, we we've always just ignored these rules kind of a thing you know jeez uh how how supportive is the community um you know i i honestly am, am very surprised at how over the overwhelming support for the for this for the uh beginning of this case because you you just never know because with the with the pride and Penn State. Some people just don't care, you know, about what's happening. They they get upset if you know you you do something negative to the school. Um, and I was I, I didn't know what to expect or care. By the way, um, to be honest, uh, my job is different than caring what people think. It's not a popularity contest. But um, yeah, I'm really I'm really. It's nice to see that people see the issue for real and aren't making it about um, making it about something other than the real issue. I think people want. To make sure that the, the the experience is safe for the students, no matter what. I remember in the fall of uh, maybe it was November 2012 when the allegations against Jerry Sandusky came out, and yeah. Joe Paterno was criticized. How upset students were! Remember, they were like rioting one day, and they turned over a car or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Like you know, so- sometimes like the the issue gets pushed aside for reasons of maybe people thinking that you're criticizing the school they love and they can't see that the issue is the only thing that should matter. And I just didn't know what to expect. And um, I haven't heard anything like that, frankly. But the fraternity now is closed, right? Yeah. It's it's banned for life from Penn State, which they can do because they hold the, the school holds the ability to um, give them recognition and they can choose to Suspend it or ban it, and it's banned forever. So that frat will never be back. Was it located just off campus or on campus? Oh, off, off. No, would if it were on campus, would that have affected how you investigated the case? 
only to the extent that a different agency would have. So Penn State has their own independent police agency. So it just would have been a different police agency, but it would all look the same. Okay. So, you know, I think you kind of answered this already earlier. Um, I just have a few more questions. I mean, I've heard people say that this is really a civil case. It's not a criminal case. No, well, then, you know, if people say that, I guess they just don't have much of a... um, grasp on criminal law, you know. Yeah, there, there's probably a big civil case there, um, but that's that's a different angle. Um, they're totally unrelated. So, right, if you, if you, there's, there's reckless, well, I guess when people say that they do not understand that there's a whole category of behaviors that are reckless, that, that, are, that are criminal, um, you can be prosecuted for criminal conduct that leads to serious bodily injury or death, and you should be if, if your behavior leads to that. And um, that's this case completely. In, I mean, t- intoxication can be a mitigator for the state of mind, though, right? Although your state of you know, recklessness is about as low as it gets. I guess negligence is lower, but... Uh-huh. Um, no, in Pennsylvania, uh, voluntary intoxication is not a defense. Voluntary intoxication, okay. Yep. So they cannot use that w- whatsoever to to mitigate their um, responsibility. And remember, I, I think this is where people get a little confused. And I, and I can see and I can see people who are not involved in the system every day, like seeing this and thinking, if they look at it this way, I can see them saying, I'm not sure that that's like completely, you know, viable. Bi- uh, if they think that we're prosecuting these kids because, well, I'm not calling them kids. If they think we're prosecuting these men, these young men, because they failed to exactly diagnose his medical injuries properly at the exact moment they should have. That's not what's happening here. We're not, we're not prosecuting them for that. What they're being prosecuted for is different completely. It's reckless behavior that leads to death. Here's the theory. Here's the river underneath it. The reckless behavior is deliberately planning an activity that's life-threatening. And that is the, that is the hazing and the, and the furnishing of alcohol to pledges, and, and doing so deliberately knowing that that level will be fatal because the copious amounts of alcohol that they had set up and the planning from the text messages is outrageous, like literally handles upon handles of vodka, knowing that they set it up saying, you, you, just all of you start out within a minute drinking this whole handle and if you, if you have to finish it, then run to this station, drink all this. Run to this station, drink all that. These young men know that's outrageous amount of alcohol that's at a fatal level. And then what, what then the pebbles and the stones that are thrown on it are, after they get him to that level where he's rendered a toddler, basically, he falls in their, in their custody. They see injuries begin to develop. I don't care if they diagnose him with whatever. He's injured in their custody after they've gotten him to that level. And then he's he, he's he's in their custody, and then he falls again. So it's not it's not as simple as, well, how can they expect them to be doctors? Mm-hmm. It's it's the reckless behavior of planning an event, which is life threatening. And then if the life is taken when you plan a life threatening event, you are responsible. Mm-hmm. 
And your evidence is strengthened by that student who, according to the grand jury uh, presentment, uh, had had experience with, with head injury, but didn't say how, like family or whatever, but said, you need to wake him up. He's unconscious. You need to wake him up. You need to make you need to get him help now. And the one who slammed right. up against the wall and, you know, told we got it under control. I mean, he brought he told them you have to do something about this. Right. And they, you know, knowingly, right. you know, said, right, we got it. Well, and the other, and the other thing too is remember, the people who participated in the planning of this night, they themselves went through this obstacle course in the semesters before, mm-hmm. so they experienced it. It's not like out of thin air we said, well, they should know better. They did. They went through it, and they knew how toxically drunk they got. They all threw up. They all blacked out. Well, I shouldn't say all, but they went through it, so they knew how dangerous it was so that those are the, the steps that i think people might not realize so that that's how we made the grand jury made their decisions and we did too so i know that periodically we hear about these uh, horrible cases of severe injury or deaths during yeah. hazing uh at, at universities this of course being one of them now um but hazing is is outlawed in many states i mean that legislature has actually made it something that you cannot right. do you're not allowed to do so is hazing is the definition of hazing what happens on pledge night oh my yeah yeah and pennsylvania has a very long definition and so the other thing too is people say well he participated but let me tell you something hazing by definition in pa involves anything from making people do something that might humiliate them emotionally and so it could even just be berating someone to physical um putting them in physical or emotional detriment to what they exactly did which was you know, do something illegal, giving them alcohol. Um, but but here's the key thing about hazing. And it's, it says, you know, in association with um, being part of membership of an organization. Well, that's exactly what happened here. But here's, here's the key thing about hazing in PA. It says, notwithstanding the consent of the party. So PA recognizes you. they cannot use as a defense that he agreed to do it. PA recognized a long time ago, well, naturally, the person's going to be doing it, but but they put the onus back on the person saying, you can't ask someone to do it. Right. I don't care if we don't care if they went along with it. You can't ask. This is how inherently dangerous this activity is and how much we recognize people will do things to be part of your group. We say you can't ask and you can't say, well, he did. He went along with it as a defense. So it's illegal even if the person goes along with it. So that's not going to be a defense for them, for them to say, well, he agreed. He didn't agree. He didn't know that he was going to have to do all that. And you're not even allowed to ask, so so, so they can't say that. So you've charged 18 students. Not all of them are charged with involuntary manslaughter. Eight, right? Eight or nine. Eight or nine. About half. But others are charged with various crimes. Oh. But everything's related to Tim's death, right? We're not talking about incidents that you uncovered in the course of the investigation. Right, right. Okay. And right. And some of the ones charged with involuntary manslaughter, they're charged with furnishing for Tim's class and then two classes before and hazing for two classes before in addition to Tim's because of what we found. So you're going to show this uh, a pattern, too? Yes. We have text messages where they planned the prior two gauntlets. Now, you've charged the fraternity itself as an entity. Right. And I've done that. You know, when I was a prosecutor, charged sure. companies, corporations. It's, it happens all the time. So uh, what what would be the punishment, assuming that there is either a plea or a conviction yeah. after trial? Well, as you know, you can't put a, an entity in jail. 
But there's a couple reasons. One, it's the right thing to do because we think we can show um, from the history that they you know, were permissive in the behavior. Two, um, it does it does attach to the you know corporation's name a conviction, and there are penalties, or or I should say there are um, you know things about it that can can carry on with the corporation and cause it problems. And frankly, you know they should be punished, like if they try to apply for loans, or if they have other umbrella. Um, you know, entities um, and people look them up, they'll see this. Number three, fines, fines. And so for a corporation, you can you can generally hurt them with fines. So, you know, we, we want them to be punished too. And, um, you know, we're going to do what we can to, to, to use the criminal justice system to get justice for Tim and, and get them where we can make them accountable. So I, I know you've been very generous with your time, and I, I will wrap this up, but I just had a couple of quick uh, sort of procedural okay. questions. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you expect a motion for a change of venue? Uh, you know, with ni- 19 different defendants, I imagine that will come some somewhere, but actually because it has been so widespread and um, talked about, it kind of cuts against them. So, yep, maybe, but I mean, I'm not worried about that. We've tried very high-profile murder cases, and we can get juries. So, you know, I'm, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me, but so we have a ways to go. And this case is pending in the same courthouse where... Jerry Sandusky was tried. Yeah. Uh, and what about uh, severance? Do you see any um, sort of viable severance motions for some of these? Maybe those who aren't charged with manslaughter to be severed from the others? Yeah, I could see, I could see some arguments being made. Um, to to to, I mean, until I see them, I can't I can't quite wrap my mind around, you know, what what they would say to do that. Other than you know the general old as a ex prosecutor, you know that it's too prejudicial. Um, so, yeah, I, I would not be surprised about that. But but the, the weird thing is, is you know, I, the whole story has to come in to make it make sense. So we really would just be trying the whole thing over again. So I would fight that very hard. And how is Tim, Tim's family? Uh, besides being amazing people for being able to weather such a terrible storm, you know, they're, they're only as, uh, they're only as uh, you know, I don't know, resilient as you could be when you when you lose a son over something that was preventable. They, when we did the presentment and announced it, I mean, at the same time, they're picking up one of two sons from Penn State when they should have been picking up two. And, you know, I, I, I still don't know how they keep moving forward, but they do. They're committed to real change as a result of what happened to their son, and we stand with them on that. And I think the grand jury is looking to, to write a report and recommendation. They, they, they ordered my office to, to prepare one for them about the failures in the system and how to fix this problem because they don't want Tim's death to be a, a big flash in the headlines and everybody be aghast and then it to fall away like some other cases have. They want it to, be, to affect meaningful change. Do you think that there's less... Um like partying and drinking. I mean, Happy Valley, that's State College. I mean, it's a, it's a nice place, but it's a party town, too, college. I wouldn't go so far as to say there's less partying and drinking. I think they know as well as uh, the grand jury knows. The Piazzas know as well as the grand jury knows. The, the idea to let the Interfraternal Council self-regulate was an abominable failure. And so this is why the grand jury wants to issue reports and recommendations as to how other people now need to take the bull by the horns and put provide meaningful change and guidance. The other thing, too, is 
these gratings are ridiculous. Furnishing an M3, it's like being loud at a party, like disorderly conduct. Hazing an M3, you know, it has to, the gratings have to change, and if death results from either of them, it should be a felony. So we're dealing with that, too, some recommendations to the legislature. I did not ask you what the sentence is for involuntary manslaughter. Oh, it's only a misdemeanor one. Hmm. The, 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 because it's not intentional. But remember, the kids charged with, the, the young men charged with um, invol- um, involuntary manslaughter are also charged with aggravated assault under the reckless theory again, that they recklessly cause serious bodily injury to Tim. And actually, that charge carries 10 to 20 years. So obviously a felony. Yes, felony one. Okay, so I definitely will be following this, and perhaps sometime down the road we can catch up again. I really appreciate your taking the time today to explain this case. My pleasure. Important issue, important issue for everyone. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this latest episode of Karis on Crime. As always, I welcome your feedback, your questions, and ideas. You can post them on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karras, and my Facebook page is my name, Beth Karras. Till the next time, be well.